So today, this is Easter Sunday, or some like would, say, would like to call it Resurrection Sunday. Um, either way is good for me. Um, I like Easter. I like Resurrection. Um, but I think we all know the story. I, I think we all know why we're here. We know that Jesus died. We know that he rose from the dead. But do we really understand why it's so important, why this day is so important to our Christian faith? If you call yourself a Christian, if you say that you're a Christ follower, this is the hallmark holiday. This is it. This is the day that gives us the right to be called a Christ follower. And we're going to talk today about the power of Easter, the power of Easter. So I want to go back just for clarity's sake. I I just want to review the story a little bit. Jesus died for the sins of of mankind on the cross on Good Friday, which was last Friday. He spent three days in the tomb, and he rose today. But first of all, we have to ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? Well, we all know that man was created by God perfectly in the Garden of Eden some 6,000 years ago. And Adam and Eve were perfect in his, their creation. They were in perfect relationship with God. But Satan got involved in a, with a temptation, and they fell, and they sinned. And that sin immediately separated them from God and banished them from God's presence. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says, The Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So as we know, Adam and Eve ate from that tree, and immediately the spirit man within them died. The spirit man is the man that has relationship with God. The physical man continued to live. For hundreds of years, Adam lived thereafter, By the sweat of his brow. He had to work hard to sustain life. But his spirit man died immediately. And that's why Paul wrote to the Romans the reality of what mankind deserves today. And yet the gift that God continues to want to give to them. He says, Paul writes in Romans 6.23, For the wages are what you deserve. The wages are what you've earned. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the thing you don't deserve, the thing you haven't earned, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So with that, we are beginning now to establish the purpose for why Jesus had to die. The only way that man could have relationship with God again was to have their sin removed. Because sin is the separator. Sin is the unholy thing that keeps us from having a relationship with a holy God. So God put the plan of redemption in place that required Jesus, who is the second being of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus was to take on the form of humanity, to become one of us, to become part of his creation so that he could save his creation. He had to be one of us. He had to go through what we go through. He had to deal with the temptations that we deal with. And he had to be perfect 
in how he dealt with that temptation so that he could become that perfect sacrifice on the cross. Now, why God required a blood sacrifice, that's beyond me. I'm not the boss. I'm not the writer of the story. But God required a blood sacrifice to cover and remove the sin that mankind created. In the Old Testament, they did it through animal sacrifices. And that sacrifice was for a yearly covering of their sin. It didn't take away the sin. It just covered the sin of the previous year that the great high priest would go into the inner, the, the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and perform a blood sacrifice. And that blood of that animal would cover the sin of those people for that, for that previous year. But when Jesus came, he became the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, and he became the sacrifice, a one-time sacrifice for all of the sin of mankind. And that's why Peter could write this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned. Did you hear that? Christ never sinned. But he died for sinners That's you and me, by the way. To bring us safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Know what that deserves? An amen. Everybody say it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You know, you can say amen to me every every so often. If I say something that you agree with, say amen. It encourages me when people agree with the word of God. Amen. Jesus was the only sinner. I'm sorry, the only man that ever lived that never sinned. But he died a death he didn't deserve in order to pay a debt of sin against his father. And that saves us from the wrath of his father. Did you hear me? Jesus saves us not from ourselves. Jesus saves us not from the devil. Jesus saves us from the wrath of his father. Understand that point. Understand that point. Jesus bore the wrath and the fury of his father that day so that we don't have to. See, if you don't grasp that point, then this message or this day really doesn't mean anything to you. It really can't have any significant impact to you if we don't grasp the fact that Jesus paid the price. He bore the wrath of his father because his father was angry because of the sin that destroyed the relationship between his creation and himself. He was, there was a righteous anger in heaven that day, and the only way that that righteous anger could be satisfied is by Christ paying the price. You know, I read this statement, and it's kind of interesting. Read along with me. It says, sometimes well-intentioned preachers give the false impression that in dying for us, Jesus persuaded a reluctant and vengeful father to show mercy. But in reality... God didn't have the choice to show mercy on Jesus because Jesus was the payment for mankind's sin against God. No mercy was able to be shown to Jesus. A person that accepts Christ's payment isn't facing an angry God any longer because the payment was made in full by the wrath 
that was placed on Christ. However, the person that rejects the payment of Christ still has the wrath of God's fury on them to pay. And that's what hell's all about. We have to recognize that if there's a heaven, there's a hell. Heaven is for those that have accepted the price, have accepted the fact that Jesus died for them, and he's willing to forgive them of their sin if we'll just ask. But for those that don't ask, they take themselves out from his payment plan, and they have to pay it themselves, and that's only through their death and eternal punishment. It's the choice that they make, not the, not the reality of God's anger on on. It is the reality of God's anger on the sin that they've allowed to stay in their life. That's what it's all about. So now that we have a good understanding of why Jesus had to die, let's look at his death. Let's look at the moment of his death and then what happened in the process. So we're going to do some reading here, okay? So read along with me. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 38. It says, Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at Jesus, at him, shaking their heads and saying, Who, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are really the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. I find that so interesting. Jesus did all kinds of miracles. He raised the dead. He caused the blind to see. They had all reason to believe in him, but they are continuing to say that they'll believe in him. You know what? The reality is if he would have come down from the cross, they wouldn't have believed in him. That's the reality of sin. That's the deceitful nature of the enemy. Let's continue. Verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And here's interesting. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema, Sebekathane, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on his staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, what did he cry out? It is finished. He gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who with them with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely... He was the Son of God. Now let's pause here for a couple minutes because there's some things we need to talk about. We can see something here going on that is alluding to the fact that Jesus is no ordinary man. 
they were crucifying a man. A man that bled. A man that had flesh and bones. A man that was no different than any other man that walked on that earth. But what we're starting to see here now is some of the things that were that was making the difference as to that were making him different from an ordinary man. Let's talk about some of those things. First of all, Jesus was hung on the cross around 9 a.m. in the morning. People, including all the religious leaders of the day, they were mocking Jesus. And they were they were saying, if you could heal others, why not heal yourself? Come off the cross if you really who you are, if you say who you are. They tempted him to come down from the cross and then they would believe in him. Now, up to this point in time, Jesus is just an ordinary man. He hasn't done anything out of the ordinary at this point. He died a human death. But now we're going to start seeing some of the new supernatural things beginning to happen. Some of the things that were declaring him to be different than any other man that ever lived. What are we, what are we seeing? It says, beginning around noon... The sky was turned to darkness. Listen to me. It was dark as night for three hours. From noon till three o'clock in the afternoon, it was midnight. That doesn't happen naturally. There's no eclipse that's going to last for three hours. That's going to take it to midnight for three hours in the middle of the day. From noon till three o'clock, it became as nighttime. You don't think that got somebody's attention? It doesn't happen by itself. That's supernatural. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, meaning that it wasn't saying that my death is over, my life is over, therefore I'm released from pain. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is when he said it is finished, what was finished is the payment for sin. He hung on that cross for three hours in darkness, in complete agony, crying out, God, Why have you forsaken me? Because in that time, all sin of mankind, Jesus bore on his body, and his father had to turn his face away from his son. And that was the agony that broke his heart. Because there was never a time before that that Jesus and God were ever separated. Because Jesus had never had any sin. Therefore, he was always in the presence of his father. But that three hours when he hung on the cross and all the sin of mankind was laid on his back... (laughs) his father had to turn his face. Immediately after he cried out, it is finished, the payment's made, then something else supernatural happened. Now, this is the Jewish holiday. This is the Passover. The high priest is in the inner courts at this time of the day, paying for the sins of the people as the Old Testament law required. And in this time, all of a sudden, at 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out, It is finished. And all of a sudden, there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the, from the other outer temp- temple courts that, that only the high priest could go in the, in the inner court. All of a sudden, that curtain was torn in half from top to bottom, and it exposed the inner sanctuary. That's a miraculous thing. Because all of a sudden, the, 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 the priest, can you imagine what he went through? Can you imagine the panic that happened in the temple when that curtain was, that curtain was torn in two? And see, it was such a holy place that if the sin, if the high priest had any sin, he would die coming into the presence of God. 
And all of a sudden, that temple curtain is torn, and now it's all exposed. It's all exposed. That's miraculous. That's power. That proves that there's something different about Jesus. And even the Roman guards recognized that Jesus was no ordinary man. Because even they said, surely, this man is the Son of God. That's power. There's so much more proving that Jesus was no ordinary man and that Easter is the most powerful of all days. Let's continue to read here about the power of Easter. Matthew, we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. But there was a violent earthquake, another supernatural occurrence. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. (laughs) Can you just imagine that? I can just imagine these two angels sitting on this huge rock that no man could move on their own. And they just simply rolled it back and now they're sitting on it. (laughs) I love it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, listen to this, afraid, yet filled with joy. Have you ever been afraid and joyful at the same time? Well, when you come into the presence of the Lord, you should have the fear of the Lord, but yet joyful in the fact that we have a holy, righteous relationship with him. That's kind of what they were experiencing right now. They were afraid, but yet they were filled with joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And the story continues. But the most powerful thing about Easter is not the death of Jesus. Let me say that again. The most powerful thing about Easter is not the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. That's the power of Easter. That's the power of this day. You see, Jesus' death was not supernatural, as we've already talked about. All men die. All men die or will die, but they stay in the grave. All the religious leaders, theologians, government leaders, every person that had a a big part in our society They all died. The only thing, the only one that didn't, well, he did die. The only one who's still not in his grave or tomb is who? Jesus. And see, and he appeared over 40 days to people after his resurrection. In one time, it says in the Bible that he appeared to over 500 people at one time. It's well documented that Jesus was alive after he died. So this is not a myth. This is not something made up. Jesus walked and talked and he ate with his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection and he, w- he made himself known to hundreds and hundreds of people. So there's no fabrication. There's no doubt here. 
What makes Easter so absolutely amazing and different than any other day is not the cross, even though we thank the Lord for the cross because the cross saves us of our sin. But what makes it so special is the empty tomb. The supernatural resurrection of Jesus from the dead separates Jesus from all others. It promises those who believe, who is that? That's you and me. Those that believe and accept Jesus as our Savior, it promises us that we will have the same resurrection that he has. Did you hear that? I hope you did. We're all going to die unless the rapture happens and we are caught up. But we're promised that we will have the same resurrection power that will raise us from the dead as it rose Christ from the dead if we believe in him. That's the power of Easter. So why is this so vitally important to us? Well, one of the reasons is, is that Satan, Satan, he's, he's still playing here, guys. Even though God, even though Jesus defeated him at the cross, Satan is still alive and well. I just want you to know that. He's still in the deceiving business. Satan spins the truth of God's word in order to convince us that this isn't such a powerful day after all. Satan would have us think that Easter is just getting some good new Sunday go to meet and clothes on, right? And uh, dress up in our Sunday best and go to church. And then after that, go have a nice ham dinner someplace or a brunch and, and just go out and, and just think it's just another holiday and use it as a reason for a day off from work or whatever. See, and Satan would have us not believe that this is what it really is. And he's pretty good at that, in case you don't know, because look at the world. Look how the world looks at Easter. They look at, they limit it to Easter bunnies. Reese's with peanut butter in them, which I love, by the way. But there's more to it than just Reese's peanut butter cups and Easter egg hunts, right? That's what the world's taking it as. Here's the thing. The devil's a liar. He never tells the complete truth. And this is a huge point. He tells enough truth to suck you in. He tells enough truth to get you interested. But he never tells you the truth of what the consequences are. Now, maybe... You can have, maybe you've experienced it in your own life, but we certainly can see it in Scripture. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 and then 4 through 5. This is back in the Garden of Eden again. Now the serpent, who was Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did you hear the question? Satan is asking a question of your, your interpretation of truth. Boy. Your interpretation of truth, is that happening today? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's truth in that. They will know good and evil like God knows good and evil. But he didn't go to the full extent to say that when you eat from this truth, by the way, you're going to die. He didn't say that. Satan only gives enough truth to get you to take the first bite. Think of the alcoholic and every other person that has an addictive vice. It's not the last drink they regret. 
nearly as much as the first drink. It's not the last cigarette. It's the first ones that get them hooked on nicotine. Think about the STDs of the world and the unwanted teenage pregnancies. You see, Satan doesn't give warnings with the temptation that says, if you take this, by the way, you're going to become addicted to it. And by the way, now I'm going to control your life with it. And by the way, you're going to have an unwanted pregnancy now. He doesn't tell you that. He just says, come, let's have some fun. You see, there's enough truth in that, that sin is fun in the moment. Come on, true? How many people have had fun in sinful things? Yeah, it's fun in the moment. No question about it. But if we understood the consequence of what that comes after the fact, after the fun's over, comes the consequences, maybe we would rethink. Maybe we would rethink. Contrast this to the promises of God. When God gives his instructions to us on how to live, which he does do for us, right? He gives us very good instructions for how to live. He always includes the complete truth of the positive rewards that come along with the obedience that he requires. God doesn't bait and switch you like Satan does. He tells you up front, guys, this is the deal. You're going to have to obey me. And you're going to have to do some things that maybe your flesh doesn't want to do. But here's the reward, eternal life. Here's the reward, no regrets. Here's the reward, fullness beyond fullness. He tells you up front. That's different than what the enemy does. The enemy bait and switches. God is up front. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you fully obey the Lord, hear the word, If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully, carefully, carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord, your God. Now, we've talked numerous times as we've been talking about things in the past few weeks that God has the right, doesn't he, to put some requirements on us? Does he not have the right? Is he not our creator? And as a creator, he owns us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns this world. Does he not have the right to put restrictions and rights, commands? Yes, he does. Again, that's another enemy lie, that God doesn't have the right to tell you anything. Well, yes, he does, because he has things in store for you that are for your benefit, for your good. You see, God doesn't bait and switch. He's completely true. The second reason I would make this point is because Jesus was fully committed to fulfilling the word of God without a shortcut or any type of a compromise. Jesus didn't stop halfway. He completed the mission. You know that he could have stopped halfway? Do you know that he could have stopped at any time and he would have gone back to heaven? Why? Because he had no sin. He could have been welcomed back to heaven. In fact, it says at one point that he could have, he could have called on legions of angels 
and the angels would have rescued him immediately and taken him back to heaven, and we would have been left on our own. He didn't have to complete the mission, but he did. He understood that the penalty of sin must be completely atoned for. A halfway payment wouldn't be enough. He had to completely pay the price. That's why he hung on the cross for three hours and then declared at the end, it is finished because he knew that he had to complete the task of paying the debt. You see, Jesus was completely committed. And why is this important? Because if Jesus wouldn't have died, he wouldn't have been able to be resurrected. Yeah, he could have taken himself off the cross. There's no question. He could have healed himself. But if he would have done that, then he couldn't have been resurrected because he didn't die. That's the significance of the death, that he had to die so that he could rise again and that he could defeat death. Do we understand that? Do we really understand that? That if Jesus would have done anything else than what he did, that he would not have completed the task and therefore we would not have the promise of eternal life because he would not have had to been resurrected from death. He would not have defeated death if he would have cheated it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 19, it says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Do you see the logic here that Paul is talking to the Corinthians about? And he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. That's how important this day in history is, that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ because this gives us the foundation of all hope. What Paul is saying here is that without the power of Easter, our faith, no matter how great it is in God, is futile. It means nothing if Christ wouldn't have been raised from the dead. That's why we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus today. Because of his supernatural act of defeating death. He defeated it. He conquered it. He didn't cheat his way out. He didn't take a shortcut. No, he went to the complete mission of dying completely to the point where they ran a sword into his lungs and into his heart and water and blood gushed out proving that he was dead on the cross and then he was raised to life and that that proves the power of easter amen amen that's another place for an amen thank you another good place to insert one so we have two very important takeaways jesus number one was fully committed to the sacrifice to the point of dying on the cross so that he could supernaturally be resurrected from the dead. Thus, 
By doing that, he defeated death. And then he became the firstborn of the dead to come back to life. And then we will follow him and we will be brothers and sisters in Christ as we come back to our resurrection. So what does this mean to us? What does this mean, the fact that Jesus Jesus was fully committed? Here's the second point. We also must be fully committed to receive his sacrifice. You see, he was fully committed to be the sacrifice. Now, we need to be fully committed to receive the sacrifice. Do you see that? Matthew chapter 10, 38 and 39, it says, If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will save it. That's being fully committed to the sacrifice. Galatians 5, 24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and, uh, and have crucified them there. You see, we have to die to ourselves like Christ died to himself. That's how we're fully committed. We have to commit to the point that we're going to die as well so that we can be resurrected just like Christ was. If I shortcut it, then I won't be resurrected. Do you hear that point? Do you see how significant that is? I can't shortcut it and still think I'm going to be raised from the dead because I haven't died. In Christ. I have to die in Christ by nailing my passions and my desires of my sinful nature to the cross and crucify them there. Wow. I hope you get it. I hope you're understanding what this is about. Many people in the world don't understand this level of commitment on our part. We seem to have accepted the, the fact or the opinion that God will accept our half-hearted attempt to live a satisfying life the way we want to live. While Jesus was willing and to be committed to his death, somehow we think we can get halfway, halfway when he committed full way and that we're still going to be accepted by God. Where does that logic come from? Does that make any sense even? That we would expect Christ to die for us and then I can live a life that I want to live to my own passions and still think he's going to be satisfied with my sacrifice, that which, was, which wasn't a complete sacrifice? Where does that logic come from? Let's just make sense. Let's think about this logically. How would you feel about it? Put yourself in God's place. Let's say you're God and you're asking your son to go and do what Jesus did. How would you feel about a man that came to you and lived a half-hearted life? Would you receive him? Probably not. You see, it's really easy for us to give up and live up to our own version of Christianity with a token commitment, thinking that God is going to be pleased at the end. That I, did you hear me say earlier that the Satan is a liar? That he only gives enough truth to, to, to suck you in, to get you to take the first bite. How many people have taken that bite of that half-truth and think that I'm a good person 
I'm good enough. God's going to be happy with me because I'm good enough. Jackie, would you come, please? You see, the only way for us to close this Easter service is to give everyone the opportunity to receive the life and resurrection that Jesus offers. But to do this, we must be willing to die to ourselves. Listen, it's not simply a prayer. It's a commitment. You need to know up front what you're committing to. What you're committing to is a life lived for Christ. What you're committing to is nailing your passions, your desires to the cross that are not godly. Hear me. You need to understand the level of commitment before you can say the prayer. Because the prayer without the commitment means nothing. I could ask you all to bow your heads and pray with me the sinner's prayer. And how many times have we done that and it hasn't been enough because there hasn't been a commitment with it? Now listen, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not saying that life is going to be good. I'm saying that you're going to be forgiven. And I'm saying that from thereafter, you will be fulfilled because you will be living in obedience to Christ. And can I tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth? That there will be joy in your life beyond what you've ever experienced before. You will have joy in your heart because you've accepted the sacrifice. And you have now recognized that God's wrath is no longer for you. Because Jesus paid the price. Guys, it's a no-brainer. Can I just tell you this? Don't hold out. And I'm speaking to those that are listening online. Don't hold out. Don't think you have tomorrow. Don't think, well, when I'm older, when I'm sowed on my wild oats. <laughs> Let me ask the questions. This morning, if this was your last day, if this was your last few breaths, are you comfortable where you're going to spend eternity? Are you comfortable with your relationship with God? Are you comfortable with what you're going to tell him? If he asks you the question, why should I allow you in? Are you comfortable with your answer? You can be. You can be. The question is, do you want to be? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. But I want to tell you again that this prayer is only the beginning. It's only the beginning of a life of commitment thereafter. (laughs) Listen, you don't have to be a perfect churchman or churchwoman to be in love with Christ. You need to be forgiven. And that's an everyday experience. You're going to still make mistakes. I'm not placing that burden on you to be perfect. 
I'm just, I'm just asking you, do you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? And that, are you willing to live for him? Are you willing to be committed to him as he was committed to you? Close your eyes with me, if you will. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because if I raise your hand, that it's like, it's for me. It's not for me. God knows your heart this morning. But I am asking you to close your eyes and you self-evaluate your heart. Ask yourself the questions. Am I comfortable with where I'm going? Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for this Easter message. I thank you for the power of Easter. I thank you for the resurrection. But I thank you also for the death and the penalty that was paid for my sin. And Lord, now as I evaluate my life right now, I'm looking at my heart and I know that it's more than a simple prayer of asking or believing. It is now a commitment to be committed to you as you were committed to me. And so, do, Father, I do ask you to forgive me of my sin. I, I am choosing right now. And there may be others in this room as well. They're watching. Uh, they are choosing to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But with, but with that choice comes a commitment that I'm going to live my life. I'm going to allow you to make the changes in my life that need to be made. I'm going to allow you. I'm going to give you the authority to change my desires, change my passions as I nail them to the cross that I would live for you unashamed <laughs> unashamed that I would call you my father unashamed that I would call you my my savior I would not be ashamed with people I would not fear people over fearing you ever again I accept you And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, then this is what you can be sure of. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 through 57. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. (laughs) We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your, your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with me. Let's sing.
know, it's amazing that we can clap and we can get excited at football games and basketball games and even at the good golf shot. <laughs> but sometimes we have a hard time clapping in church. Let's clap again. Come on, let's go. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That's the greatest victory of all times. The greatest victory in all things is given to us today because we've accepted Christ. Go today and and enjoy and in peace, knowing that your life is full. Amen? Amen. Be blessed. Have a great Easter.